0: Alright, Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. Verse 23. Matthew 23 verse 23. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, Let's stop there for the day and pray. God, open our hearts. This is a text that is uh, supremely convicting to me because it reveals inconsistencies in my own life. And so I pray as we read and study today that Christ would have His way in us more and more. In His name we ask it. Amen. So last week we finished looking at the first section of woes to the Pharisees, right? Um, woes are not good things. Condemnation, Jesus is saying, these are the problem, guys. And here he picks back up. Um, but last last week, we looked at the, the last part of it in 16 through 22, and it had to do with swearing oaths. And really, I'll just condense it all down to say this. The Pharisees, honestly, were just trying to squirm out of their responsibilities while at the same time trying to maintain face in the community. So in essence, at the core, the Pharisees were really just attempting to justify sin. Guys, we are guilty of the same kind of thing when we say, well, I understand that it's technically a sin to do such and such, but, you know, everybody does it, so it's not that big a deal. Things like gossip, materialism, envy, jealousy, slander, these little white lies. The Bible identifies these things as sin, but our category for them is is much less convicting, isn't it? These are all, I might just even say, acceptable sins, even in the church. These things are not that big a deal. We're quick to point out the big ones that are more obvious, and yet these reside in our hearts with very little adjusting. And in fact, that's what the Pharisees were trying to do here. They were attempting to adjust sin, the definition of it, what it is, what it should be talked about. They were trying to adjust it in order to please themselves instead of fleeing from the sin as God instructed them to do. And we do the same thing, don't we? It's so easy to excuse our own sin because it's common, instead of fleeing from sin according to the truth of God's word. Now I realize I'm coming out of the gates just swinging away today, Um, and I'm I'm sorry in a sense, but this is this is heavy stuff. And Jesus keeps going, right? If you noticed some of the breaks and then the beginnings of his comments, they have exclamation points on them. I didn't yell when I read it, but there's emphasis there that Jesus is giving to this text. It's important. So look at verse 23 and 24. Jesus is saying here that the Pharisees were right to tithe the small things, and he lists three of the herbs there. They were right to do that, but they had gotten so caught up in these small things that they had forgotten or neglected the bigger things. And he lists them. He says, justice and mercy and faith. These kinds of herbs, um mint, dill, and cumin, they, they were used for in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, they were used for like an aromatic purpose. So they would take these things and they would spread them out on the floor of their homes or of the floor of the temple and they were to make it smell good. They were to make it smell better. It had a pleasant fragrance. And Jesus is not saying that that was wrong to do. He says, you should have done those things. The problem was that they neglected the bigger things because they'd become so preoccupied with these little things. This idea of justice and mercy and faith, this should kind of throw our minds back, in a sense, to the book of Micah chapter 6. And if you've got the notes, I have it, I think, typed out in there. Otherwise, you can turn in your Bible to Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. He says this, "...with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul?" He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? You've probably heard that last verse before. To love, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God's people were failing to give justice to the poor and to the needy and to show kindness to them. These things, I think, naturally will flow out of people who walk humbly before the Lord, but this did not characterize Israel's leaders in that day. Loving justice, showing mercy and kindness. Instead, the Pharisees prided themselves on following convenient laws rather than exercising real love. Tithing mint and dill and cumin was Honestly, relatively inexpensive and and easy. These items were cheap and lightweight. Okay, so think about this for just a second. Compare offering cumin to offering your fattened cow. Okay? Which one is easier to raise? Farmers? Is it easier to grow a plant or to raise a cow? It's easier to grow a plant, right? Oftentimes you give those plants to the cows to eat. It's easier to raise a plant. Which is easier? To load up and bring, a church, bring to church with you. A cow or a bag of cumin. Um, which is easier to lift up and place on the altar to sacrifice? A cow? You guys get the idea. There's some sacrifice here. There's some. There's a challenge here. The Pharisees wanted everybody to know how scrupulous and specific they were in tithing these small things like mint and cumin and dill. Um, but they were doing this because they thought they were impressing other people. And they thought they were impressing God. And as we read from, from Micah, God's not pleased with rivers of oil. He's pleased with what you do In your heart, what your actions portray of how you believe him and how you trust him. They thought they were impressing God, but they weren't. And Jesus makes it really clear that they were straining out the gnat and swallowing what? A camel. Now, obviously, that's not really happening, but you get the hyperbole here. You get the the word play. Jesus is saying, guys, you're missing it. You're straining out, you're so specific, you're getting the gnat out, but you're eating a camel in the end. So this, this should cause us to ask some questions. Am I missing it? Are you missing it? Are we missing it? As a church, are we missing it? Are we missing the point of a relationship with God? See, real spirituality is not just what you do on a Sunday morning. Real spirituality is not just what you do on a Sunday morning. Honest to goodness, real godliness is what you do when no one's looking. I've heard character described in the same way. You have character. Well, do you do what's right when no one's watching, when you have the opportunity to take advantage? That's, that's real godliness. So, are we so concerned with the minutia of spiritual rule-keeping that we are ineffective when it comes to real practical ministry? That's what this is unearthing here. Are we just so caught up in, in our spiritual real, rule-keeping that we're really not ministering to people's needs? This is the danger that Jesus is pointing out. Have we been running outside have, have you ever been running outside on a beautiful spring day? And we're all longing for that right now, right? We're going to get a little taste of the weather today. Can you believe this snow has been here since January t- 11th? That's wild. Um, but you've been running in the yard on a nice spring day, and all of a sudden, <gasps> you swallow a gnat. You ever done that before? Oh, that's the worst, man. You swallow this gnat, okay? Okay. Um, biting insects like gnats and fleas and other things, especially in, back in Bible times, they, they could have carried disease, sickness. And so they would strain the wine very carefully so that there, there were no gnats in there to not poison, but to, to make it unclean, to contaminate the whole batch. They didn't want any gnats in their wine. Um, Cam- camels were also common in their day. gnats camels they knew what they were talking about. Um, they were pretty common, but they were considered ceremonial unclean ceremonially unclean so jesus is is pointing out he 's getting to the heart of this and he says Pharisees you 're so wrapped up in the little details that you 're missing the overarching theme of god 's instructions to you and so church ask this question to ourselves. Are we so concerned with these little things, making sure everything's just right, and the insignificant things, really, that we're missing God's overarching theme of His instructions to us? Ephesians 2 gives us an instruction on how we should live. We are saved. I've I've mentioned this to you before. We're saved by grace, through faith, for Action. I love this saying, it's not original to me, but I love it. Jesus didn't come and endure the beatings prior to the cross and the nails that were driven into his hands and feet. He didn't endure the crown of thorns being jammed onto his skull so that Christians can drive up to a fancy church building and worship in comfort on Sunday mornings. He didn't give up his life on a cross so that us churchgoers can compare our checklist of spiritual activities every Sunday morning when we get together. Instead, Jesus endured all of those things, the suffering. He gave up his life so that everyone who would trust in him would go out from the church and be his hands and feet of love and love the unlovable and do the work of making disciples and live this life for his glory alone. That's why Jesus came. Not so that you could be comfortable. The Pharisees didn't want to live that way. And I'm afraid that many of us don't want to live that way either. The Pharisees cared more about filling out their weekly list of spiritual duties than they cared about the person next to them. So let's be sure we're not making the same mistake. Here is a practical test. Okay? Get real for a second. Here's a practical test on how we understand this truth. How do we think about local missions? How do we think about, uh, people in our community? And close by. You got, e- even though money is oftentimes tight, it's generally almost always easier to write a check and give it, than to go get our hands dirty, isn't it? David Livingston, a missionary to Africa in the 1800s, said, sympathy is no substitute for action. Ooh. Sympathy is no substitute for action. Now, many of you probably have not seen this movie before, because I hadn't until Jason and I were talking this week, and I watched it. Uh, I found it on YouTube with like, Russian subtitles or something—I'm not sure. I couldn't read it. Um, but it's a, it's a, a movie made in 2006, starring Michael W. Smith, called The Second Chance. Now, if you look it up, it's actually rated PG-13. Um, so, parents, you want to preview that before you just let your kids watch it. Um, but there's a scene in this movie that I wanted to to portray to you, to describe to you. So. Set the, set the stage a little bit. Michael W. Smith is the associate pastor of a big mega church that his dad is the pastor of. And he's kind of being groomed to take his place. Well, it's Michael W. Smith, so he leads the music and it's awesome and, and great. Um, the church supports a small local inner city church called Second Chance Church. And once a year, they have the pastor of that church, a black pastor, come to the big uh, central campus and kind of be there to talk about they have a pledge Sunday. So they have little cards that everybody's given and uh, Michael W. Smith's character kind of impromptu asks this pastor to come up and share. Nobody really knew that he was going to do that. So he comes up and he walks to the podium and he says this. He says, This morning I was stuck at a stoplight in my hood a woman comes up with what looks like a baby wrapped in a blanket. She's tapping on my window, asking for money. He says, I know that the baby is a plastic doll, but she keeps tapping. So finally, I give her a dollar just to get her to go away. James 1 teaches us to be doers of the word, not hearers only. This is the the pastor speaking. He says, every year I feel like we come here tapping on your window, but our baby is real. He says, I'm not asking for your money. I've got gifted children in my community who need hands-on guidance. He says, my wife needs tutors to help women that's trying to escape the bonds of prostitution. We need after-school supervisors, Bible teachers. And it's at that point when he looks up and he sees congregation members yawning and the little the guy who's televising you know one of the little cameramen is holding up a sign it says time's up he's pointing at it so um in in frustration he says okay everybody hold up your pledge cards so ev- there's everybody's got a pledge card and this is this is what i want us to hear today he says this is how we fix problems in america We roll down our windows, toss out some money, and drive away. So he says, my message to you on this Pledge Sunday is this. If you aren't willing to come and get a little dirt on your hands, keep your money. And he throws the pledge card out into the audience. He walks off the stage. Uh, It's an interesting movie. I'd encourage you parents to, to preview it and watch it. But man, he said, this is how we fix problems in America. And it cut. Right here. But this is what Jesus has been teaching his disciples all along, isn't it? He said, guys, it's going to cost something. Brothers and sisters, in 2019, it's discipleship following Jesus is costly. Now, it may not be costly in the same way that it is in China or in other places where they have closed doors to the gospel Because there, when they find out you're a Christian, they fire you. You're disowned by your family. You're kicked out and you have no place to go. That's costly. We had a missionary come and speak at the missions dinner on December 3rd, I think it was. And they told a story about Christians in, I think it was, Eastern Asia. And it said, when you come to Christ in that church, you immediately come up in front of the congregation and you confess your sins. You confess your sins, and then they make you wait an entire year to be baptized so that you have time to prove that it's real. Man, imagine if that was what we did in America. People would be really offended first off, but I wonder if the church would be healthier. I don't know. I just think that's interesting. Discipleship's going to be costly. If you think back to Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says that some people are going to leave their houses and their brothers and their sisters and their mothers and their fathers. They're going to leave their families, their homes, their lands, all for the sake of Jesus' name. Matthew 16.25, Jesus says, Whoever would save his life must lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Are we content to spend our days philosophizing and arguing about what it means to follow Christ? Or are we the kind of people who are going to actually go out and do it? Are we going to argue and fight about how this should be done? Or how this should be run? Or are we going to go out to the least of these that Jesus calls us to? Are we going to be known as a church that nitpicks one another? Or can we put differences aside in order to link arms together and be a force for the kingdom of God in our community? That's what we want. Are we the kind of people who visit the poor, the needy, the social outcasts? Do we reach out to the people that normal good Christian folk pass right on by? Because, brothers and sisters, it's one thing to say you follow Christ. It's a whole other thing to go do it. And you know that to be true. I know that to be true. And Jesus is getting at this when he's talking about what the offerings are. You give a little bit and you think it's a lot, but you've forgotten the bigger things. Jesus is not saying it's wrong to study, to have challenging conversations about what the bible really says about certain things. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. It's good to have theological conversations. To get into the Hebrew and the Greek, to understand context and language of Hebrew and Greek and all of these things. It's it's not bad to do that. The problem is when those things become more important than people. And it happens. Boys and girls, garden spices had become more important than their neighbor. Mint and cumin, they had become more important than the person standing next to them. And Jesus is saying, you're missing it, guys. And this is what he reveals as a result in verses 25 through 28. Just glance down there at your Bible again. Look at that. He says that we become, when this is the case... When we care more about garden spices than our neighbor, we become like dishes that are clean on the outside, but filthy inside. We become like whitewashed tombs, pretty and nice to look at on the outside, but full of death on the inside. Kids, what part of the cup is the most important part to have clean? Why? Because that's where what you're drinking touches, right? That's where the water goes. All right, adults, does it change anything for a dead person if they have a giant, beautiful monument or a simple headstone? It doesn't change anything. Because really it's not for them. It's for us. And they're not in that body anymore anyway. In Bible times, you would be considered unclean if you touched a a dead body for seven days. Unclean meant you had no contact with anybody. You weren't going to work. You weren't sleeping in your house, talking to your family. um, You weren't eating with other people. There was no contact. You were cut off for a solid week because you were unclean. All throughout the book of Matthew, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they've been concerned with this type of rule Following, observing these rules and practicing these things—that all were just external things, right? The whole time they're doing this, they're neglecting humility, and they're neglecting purity. Now, on the inside, Jesus says, "Jesus is teaching that purity starts in the heart. It doesn't start on the outside." Um, we did a, a parenting series uh it's been a little while since we've done it but i remember one of the, the things that they talked about um, that was helpful for me was understanding that as as christian parents we're not aiming for behavior modification in our kids that's not the goal i mean do we want them to sit still and not embarrass us in public sure yeah but that's not the ultimate goal the ultimate goal is to reach their heart with the gospel right Our culture, in fact, a lot of our modern-day evangelical churches, are more concerned with cleaning the outside than going after the heart. We cannot be that way because Jesus says that's not the way to do it. Purity starts at the heart, from the inside out. We don't aim at scrubbing up and, and cleaning everything. We aim at the heart because when God gets a hold of someone drastically changes their behavior. It changes their habits. It changes their mindset. I can think of half a dozen people looking around here that have incredible testimonies of God doing that very thing. God didn't wait for them to come forward and get their life straight before He saved them. He saved them out of the muck and out of the mire because that's what He does. Jesus came for the sick, not those who think they don't really need him. And so holiness starts in the heart. Are we focused more on outward appearances or on inward holiness? Here is the widespread reality. Religion, I'm going to put air quotes on that um, because a lot of people have different terms for religion and what it can mean. Religion can be a subtle And dangerous cover up for actual spiritual deadness. You know what I mean? There, there are, if you, if you put any stock into what, uh, Billy Graham said when he was still alive and even pretty soon after he had finished, I think, uh, speaking his crusades, I mean, he said that 50% of our churches aren't really even saved. 50% of people in your church aren't even saved. I don't know that that's an accurate statement or not. Doesn't matter to me, I'm not the judge. But man, if, if that's true, we need to understand that religion is not the answer. A relationship with Christ is. It's always been that way and it always will be. Because it's tempting to ignore the hardness of my own heart and cover it with just spiritual activity. Isn't it? That's why we have to ask, ask ourselves some probing questions like, is there, is there a love for Jesus that's at the root of my obedience? Am I obeying because I love Jesus or because I know I should? Is my walk with the Lord a matter of duty for me or a matter of delight? Is holiness being cultivated in my heart? The answer to these questions was a clear no for the Pharisees. I hope it's not in us. Following Jesus is more about loving your neighbor than it is about looking like you have it all together. It's more about what's happening on the inside than on the outside. It's not just about hearing the Word, as James puts it, but being doers also. It starts with what you understand and believe about God. And we referenced that last week in the message time. What we understand and know about God affects our belief about Him. So our understanding and belief has to be rooted in truth, but that is being completed and perfected in each one of us believers day by day. It starts with what we believe about God, but it's being perfected in us each day that we go and follow Him. And if if you don't know Jesus in this way, if you don't understand salvation in a way that totally radically changes your heart from the inside out i'd invite you to stick around and talk with somebody today about what that really looks like because that kind of relationship with god is found in his word and i hope it's seen in the body of christ i just want us to think about how we can practically apply this immediately right um, it's good to think through this if It's more about our neighbor than about garden spices. What are we doing to minister to our neighbors? Now, we come, we're not all from one town here. We've got Clarksville and Ellsbury and Louisiana and Painesville and Anada and lots of different places. Okay, our community is fairly widespread. But what are you doing in your immediate context? You've got a neighbor somewhere, someone in your life you consider a neighbor that lives close by. What are you doing to reach them with the gospel? Think about the ministries of our church that we're either involved with or we support. Things like Operation Backpack, Angel Wings. Shelly mentioned we've got a list of addresses to reach out. We're meeting on the third Monday of this month at 10 to 1 p.m., and you're all invited to come and minister to these people. Angel Wings, Youth Group, Awana, WMU, Sunday School, Shining Light Missions. We support a number of overseas missionaries. And that's just the beginning of the list. What are we doing in those to put our faith into action? Are we being hearers and not doers? Or are we going and doing? These are opportunities to get involved right away. I really believe that an inward transformation by the living God, will inevitably, in some way, cause an outward reaction of Christ's church. It has to. Think about the whole New Testament. Those areas where churches were put were drastically changed by the gospel. If our area is not being changed by the gospel, then we are not doing what his church is supposed to be doing. So when God transforms you, inevitably it's got to lead to Christ's church going out an outward reaction. The goal is not to look perfectly cleaned up so that everybody thinks that it's you, that you're so great. Because that's what the Pharisees only cared about. That's all they were concerned about with the outward, the external. The goal is instead to be washed by the blood of Christ in order to be filled up with his service that's what we want that's what our church needs to be about is being washed by the blood so that we can be filled up for his service in our community in our world for the kingdom this is this is not the end of the woes for the Pharisees um and so I pray as we think through this today, I pray that uh, the Lord is moving in our hearts to think through. Um, remember earlier I mentioned what's easier. What's easier getting up on the altar? Your cow that you've raised as a sacrifice or a bag of, of cumin seeds? What's easier? The Christian life involves some sacrifice. It's going to be a challenge. But when we give our lives as a sacrifice to the Lord, something beautiful happens. And when we do it together as a church body, the gates of hell don't stand against it. Let's pray. Father, we're not overcomers because we're good at preaching. We don't save the lost because we're very convincing in our arguments. Lord, the only reason that people are saved or that the church multiplies, disciples are made, people are freed from bondage is because of the Spirit of God moving in people's hearts today. So as a church, Lord, may we not be so concerned with the little minutia of rule-keeping that we have forgotten practical ministry Lord I, 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 I look at my brothers and sisters this morning and I, I see a desire to follow you I see a desire to do the things that you've called us to do and so I pray this week even Lord give us opportunity to put our faith into action because we've been saved for that purpose for action Lord it's not about us it's about you it's about your Son, and so I pray that we would be cleaned on the inside in order to be filled up and used for your purposes in this world. In Christ's name we pray, amen.